Well, friends, would you turn with me, please, to the words that we read in uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, and reading again verses 20 and 21, where we read, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Many of you know that I love the music of the Irish rock group uh, U2. Um, They did release a new single this week and I was so disappointed. I think I stayed up for hours just to to get hold of it and it was a massive disappointment. But I do love their music on the whole and although the members of the band have made a profession to be Christians, they all shied away from being labelled as a Christian band. However, in 2009, they released the song Magnificent, which was quite explicit in its Christian content. Here they sing, I was born, I was born to sing for you. I didn't have a choice but to lift you up and sing whatever song you wanted me to. Justified till we die, you and I will magnify the magnificent. Well, this morning we're continuing our studies in Paul's letter to the Ephesians and we're focusing on Paul's words of praise at the end of Ephesians 3. And we're going to look at it under two headings, the power of God, verse 20, and then the praise of God, verse 21. So very simple, the power of God, the praise of God. First, we have the power of God. You see that there in verse 20, where Paul encourages the Ephesians to set their focus on the power of God. Before proceeding, let's remember the context. Paul has told the Ephesians about how he prays and who he is praying to in verses 14 and 15. He is praying on his knees and he is praying to the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And he's gone on to tell the Ephesians about what he prays for. Verses 16 to 19, he prays that they would be strengthened in their inner being so that Christ would dwell in their hearts. He prays that they would be given a greater understanding of the vast dimensions of the love of Christ. And he prays that they would be filled to the full with the fullness of God. And now Paul comes to this doxology in verses 20 and 21. Now, a doxology is simply a statement of praise. A statement that celebrates the magnificence of God, the the majesty of God, the power of God. We see Paul making these kind of doxologies throughout his letters. In Romans 16, he writes, To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Then in Philippians 4, he writes, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he writes, To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. And here's Paul, and he begins this particular doxology by speaking about the power of God. We read, Now to him who is able. Paul has already spoken about the power of God in this letter. In chapter 1, verse 19, he spoke about the surpassing greatness of God's power. 
And then in chapter 1, verse 20, he focused on the fact that this power was seen in the way that God powerfully raised Christ from the dead and powerfully seated him at the, above all the rules and above all authority. This is the God of unique power, unparalleled power, unsurpassed power. And now Paul speaks about him being the one who is able, literally the one who is powerful. He is able and he is able because he is powerful. He is the one whom nothing and no one can hinder, nothing and no one can hold back, nothing and no one can subdue, nothing and no one can stop. He is the one who wields sovereign power. He is the God who is able. And Paul goes on to describe this power of God. We need now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Paul speaks about him being able to do far more abundantly, literally hyperabundantly. This is Paul's way of saying that this powerful God is able to do extraordinarily more, infinitely more, exceedingly more. There are, there are no limits with this God. There are no limitations with this God. And Paul says that he is able to do far more abundantly than either Paul or the Ephesians may ask or think. He's able to do more than they ask. They may approach God with their petitions, with their prayers, and they're thinking to themselves, well, I better not ask him for too much because it might just be a bit much for him. And Paul says here, this God is able to do more than you ask. And he's able to do more than they think. As they pray, there may be certain hopes and dreams that they would never dare entertain. Things that would never occur in their wildest aspirations, their wildest imaginations. And Paul says here, he is not able to do more than we ask. He is able to do more than we could even think, than we could ever imagine, than we could ever have written were we writing the script for ourselves. But Paul takes that one step further as he says that God is already exercising his power in the lives of these Ephesians. We read, according to the power at work within us. In verses 16 and 17, we heard Paul's prayer that God would strengthen the Ephesians. He prayed that they would be strengthened in their inner being. He had prayed that they would be strengthened in their inner being by God's power through God's Spirit. And he had prayed that they would be strengthened in their inner being by God's power through God's Spirit according to the riches of God's glory, the riches of God's might. And now in verse 20, Paul says, this power of God is already at work in you. This power, the, the power that even raised Christ from the dead, is already energizing them. This power, the power that raised Christ from the dead, is enlivening them, equipping them, empowering them to live for him. Isn't that a thought? Well, friends, as we consider this little verse, I want us to note Paul's emphasis on the power of God. In 1955, J.B. Phillips published his book, Your God is Too Small. And in the book, he lamented the fact that so many people of his day were failing to catch a glimpse of the true God of Scripture a true glimpse of the God of Scripture. Instead, they had misconceptions of him that diminished his majesty, diminished his power, diminished his sovereignty. Their God was too small. Their, their, their God was in a box. Now, as Paul writes this doxology, he wants his readers to have a bigger vision of who their God is, a 
better vision of who their God is. And so he says, your God is able. And he says, your God is able to do more than you ask and more than you think. And your God is able to do more than you ask and more than you think. And even now, even today, he is powerfully at work in your lives, energizing you, equipping you, empowering you. And as we listen to what Paul says about the power of God here, there's a word for each one of us today. There's a word for you if you're not a Christian. Perhaps you've heard many sermons about Jesus over the years, or perhaps you've heard very few. And you found yourself thinking, you know what, I would love to be one of his followers. But I'm not sure if I could do it. I'm not sure if I could live for him. I'm not sure if I could last the pace. I've made so many resolutions in the course of my life and I've broken every one. I'm sure I would just make a mess of things. I'm not sure if I'm strong enough to live for him. And this little verse packs a powerful punch as it tells you that this God is able. This God is powerful. There's also a word for you if you are a Christian. Perhaps you're finding the Christian life hard. I I wish that we could really be honest with one another. And I wish that we could say to one another today, put up your hands and say whether or not you have found the last year and a half easy. I wish we could be honest and say whether or not we are finding ourselves in a good place today. Let me be honest with you, friends. I have found the last 18 months almost impossible. There have been days when I've come inches from writing a letter of resignation to Chris and Roddy. There have been days when I thought I just cannot go on, not only as a pastor, but even as a Christian. Maybe that's you. You're growing weary in the fight. Your hands are drooping. Your knees are buckling. Your marriage is a battle. Your children are a battle. Your work is a battle. Your parents are a battle. Your health is a battle. Everything's a battle. And you don't know if you can keep on going as a Christian. And this little verse packs a powerful punch as it tells you that this God, your God, is able. He is powerful. And there is a word for ourselves as a congregation. You know, friends, as a congregation, we are going through challenges. And there are challenges that we are still to go through. The challenge of regrouping ourselves after so many years, uh, not years, it feels like years, but so many months of isolation and separation. That's a challenge. The challenge of reaching out to our fearful and fragile community with the good news of Jesus, the hope of the gospel, and saying to a community that are living from day to day by seeing what Gordon Jameson puts on Facebook, saying to them, there is hope and there is a hope that will not disappoint. The challenge of reaching out to those who have perhaps wandered away from the congregation over the last year, and not only wandered from the congregation, but wandered from the Good Shepherd. The the challenge of getting a building, a permanent place of worship where we are not going to be in Sandwick Hall, not going to be in a seminary, not going to be in a Falcha Centre. The challenge of 
supporting our denomination financially, the the challenge of supporting our missionaries financially. There are so many challenges, friends, and we could easily feel overwhelmed. And this little verse packs a powerful punch as it tells us that this God, the God to whom Paul prayed, the God of the Bible, our God, is able. He is able. He is is powerful. This morning I want to ask, are your eyes focused on this God? Are your eyes focused on the God who is able? Are your eyes focused on the God who is powerful? Where's your focus today, friend? But we move from the power of God to the praise of God in verse 21. And here Paul encourages the Ephesians to set their priorities on the praise of God. Paul begins by speaking about this powerful God receiving glory. We need to him be glory. Paul uses this word glory. It's a word that carries the idea of weight, heaviness, substance. It's a word that carries the idea of excellence, resplendence, beauty. It's a word that speaks of honour. And Paul says here, to him, to the God who is able, to the God who is powerful, to him be glory. Now to give God glory isn't to give something that him something that he doesn't possess. He is glorious. He is infinitely glorious. But to give God glory is to praise him, it is to magnify him, it is to honour him. To give God glory is to display and declare his magnificent worth. And Paul speaks about where this powerful God is glorified. We need to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Paul says that the glory of God is seen in the church. Oh, you know there are many things in the world that display the glory of God. Many things that display something of his worth. But according to Paul, the church is the theatre of God's glory. The church is the place where God's glory is seen. In his commentary, Clinton Arnold writes, The church glorifies God as she maintains her unity with Christ and her members. The church glorifies God as she becomes more like the Father in holiness. The church glorifies God as she defeats the influence of the power of the supernatural enemies. The church glorifies God as she fills the world with the good news of the Son. The church glorifies God as she offers continual praise to God. God is glorified in the church. And maybe that's why this past 18 months has been hard, because we have been wrenched in some ways from the life of the church. Yes, we've been on Zoom. Yes, we've been on YouTube. But we've not been able to go into a building together and and see something of the glory of God in his gathered people. And that's why echoey building, hearing things dropping off the roof and all the rest of it. I don't care because here we see something of the glory of God as we gather like this. And can I just say to any of you who are watching online and and it's not because so much of COVID, it's you've become comfortable watching the services on the couch. Can I just say to you, I'm looking at the camera here, can I just say to you that you are missing out on seeing something of the glory of God and his gathered people. 
I'm not saying that's of everyone because I know there are people who have to self-isolate. There are people with work issues right now with COVID. There are people who are self-isolating. I know all that. But if you're not here because you've become comfortable on the couch, you are missing out on something of seeing the glory of God in his gathered people. But there is another place in which the glory of God is seen, and that is in Christ, Paul says. In his incarnation, Jesus revealed the glory of God. In his transfiguration, Jesus revealed the glory of God. In his teaching and miracles, Jesus revealed the glory of God. In his crucifixion, Jesus revealed the glory of God. In his resurrection, Jesus revealed the glory of God. In his ascension, Jesus revealed the glory of God. In his exaltation to the Father's right hand, where he reigns even today, Jesus reveals the glory of God. And at his final return, his glorification, Jesus will reveal the glory of God. So here is Paul. And according to Paul, God is glorious and his glory is seen in the church and in Christ, in the heavenly bride and in the heavenly bridegroom. But Paul carries on and he speaks about how long this powerful God will be glorified for. We read to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Listen to what Paul is saying. He speaks about God being glorified throughout all generations. The images of one generation praising God, blessing God, glorifying God, and then they pass on the baton to the next generation who praise God, bless God, glorify God. And Paul says that he will be glorified throughout all generations forever and ever. Think of that. Paul is envisaging this eternity of praise, God being glorified at all times. You see, as far as Paul is concerned, this infinitely powerful God is worthy of infinite praise. And as far as Paul is concerned, there will never be a day, there will never be a moment when he will not be praised in some place by some person. What a thought. What a thought. That even, I worry about the situation with the church in Lewis Friends right now. I am really concerned about the situation of the Lewis church in general, not just the free church, but right across. I'm worried about how few people are coming out to meetings right across, how few people are going out to prayer meetings. I'm worried about what the next 10 years are going to bring. I worry about that. But you know what, friends? Even if there was no church in the Isle of Lewis, there would be some person in some place still praising God in this world. And even if the Lord withheld his blessing from the whole of Scotland, And there were no churches in Scotland, no churches in the United Kingdom, no churches in Europe. There would still be some person in some place worshipping and praising his name. Because he will be praised and blessed forever and ever, throughout all ages and generations. What a thought. What a thought. And having said all that, Paul brings this doxology to a conclusion where we read, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now that word amen is significant. It's a Hebrew word that's often used in the book of Psalms. It's a word that means, may it be so. As Paul brings this doxology to a conclusion with its focus on this powerful God being glorified forever and ever, Paul simply sighs, May it be so. May it be so. Because right now all Paul can see is Christ being glorified in Jerusalem, in Antioch, and in little patches of the Roman Empire, but, but not in Britain, and not in Africa, 
and not in vast swathes of Asia. Never mind the Americas, but here is Paul and he's saying, may it be so, Lord. May your name be glorified throughout all ages, now and forevermore. And upon completing the doxology, Paul brings this whole section of Ephesians to a close. You know, Paul has scaled some massive theological peaks in Ephesians 1 to 3. He has drawn his readers' attention to some wonderful truths about God, wonderful truths about his salvation, a salvation that began in eternity past, before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world, a salvation that stretches into eternity future, the age to come, a salvation that is centered on Christ and his church, that Christ and the church is the centerpiece for God's purposes being worked out, and all that that doctrine leads Paul to the place of doxology. All that truths about God lead Paul to the place of wonder and worship. And the letter's not even finished. In fact, we are only halfway through. And I hope you're not sighing and thinking, oh no, not more Ephesians. Though we are going to take a break for the next couple of weeks because of baptisms and the Lord's Supper and Remembrance Sunday. But But we are only halfway through. And in the next three chapters, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, Paul is going to take all the truths that he has discovered in chapters 1 to 3, and he's going to say, here's how these truths impact on your day-to-day lives. Because there's no point you just having these truths in your head. These truths need to now be worked out in how you relate to your husband, how you relate to your wife, how you relate to your children, how you relate to your parents, how you relate to your employer, how you relate to your employees. You've got to work these truths out. Well, friends, as we consider this little verse, I want us to know Paul's emphasis on the praise of God. The 18th century composer Johann Sebastian Bach once said, All music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. And it's interesting to note that any time Bach composed a piece of music, and I'm sure David could correct me if I'm wrong, but any time he composed a piece of music, he wrote at the end of it the letters S-D-G, Sola Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Every composition he wrote was for the glory, the praise, the honour of God. And here we find Paul speaking about God being glorified and giving the Ephesians an encouragement, an incentive to glorify him. He has spoken about God being glorified in the church, spoken about God being glorified in Christ, spoken about God being glorified throughout all generations, now and forevermore. It's all about the glory of God for Paul. It's all about God being glorified as far as Paul is concerned. And as we listen to what Paul says about God being glorified, there's a word for each of us today. There's a word for you if you're not a Christian. You might be doing many good and noble things today. Things that others appreciate you for, applaud you for, give you their seal of approval. But friend, you are missing out on the primary purpose for living. The praise of God. The worship of God. The glory of God. As Stam Storms writes, you were made to be enchanted, enamoured, engrossed with God. 
You were made to be enthralled, enraptured, entranced with God. You were made to be enravished, excited, enticed with God. You were made to be astonished, amazed, awed with God. You were made to be astounded, absorbed, agog with God. You were made to be beguiled and bedazzled, startled and staggered, smitten and stunned, stupefied and spellbound, charmed and consumed, thrilled and thunderstruck, obsessed and preoccupied, intrigued and impassioned, overwhelmed and overwrought, gripped and wrapped, enthused and electrified, tantalized, mesmerized, monopolized, fascinated, captivated, intoxicated, infatuated, and exhilarated with God. That, friend, is why you were created. That is your purpose. To glorify God. And so I am calling you, friend, to embrace Christ today as he is freely offered to you in the gospel and to live with this new ambition, this new direction, this new preoccupation, the glory of God. I'm not saying, friend, that from now on you've got to be like me and dress all in black. I'm not saying you've got to spend your life singing psalms. I'm not saying you've got to be in every single church service and prayer meeting. But I am saying you have been called to glorify God, to show to the world the greatness of God, because that is what lasts. And there's also a word for you if you are a Christian. We've already considered the power of God this morning, the fact that he is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. This is a God whose power blows our minds, a God whose power takes our breath away. And our calling is to magnify him, to magnify him as we gather for his worship on Sundays and sing his praise and feed on his word and call on his name. And even unite and identify ourselves with his people. Our calling is to magnify him as we speak about him with our friends and with our families. Those who know him and those who don't. And our calling is to magnify him as we live out our lives from day to day. Even if no one is noticing or watching but him. And then finally there is a word for ourselves as a whole congregation. You know, friends, here's what the High Free Church should be all about. And if it's not, let's close the doors or repent. The High Free Church should be all about the glory of God. This is what should drive every service of worship. Not David on the keyboard or Spangy or Malcolm on the fiddles and guitars not me or whoever is behind the pulpit. Not our feelings, not our emotions, but rather the glory of God. This is what should direct every decision that the Kirk Session and the Deacon's Court make, whether it's about outreach, whether it's about discipleship, whether it's about what finances to give to our missionaries or how we should engage in the building project. The glory of God. This is what should inspire every event and activity that we run as a congregation, from soup and puddings to praise nights to Christianity Explored, the glory of God. This is what should undergird every prayer meeting, the English prayer meeting, the Gaelic prayer meeting, the Zoom prayer meeting, the in-person prayer meeting, the glory of God. Because, friends, if it's not about him, if it's not about his glory... If it's about us in any way, shape or form, then we've got a major problem because this God has said, I will not share my glory with another. I will not share my glory with David Lee. I will not share my glory with Spangy. I will not share my glory with Malcolm. 
I will not share my glory with the Kirk Session. I will not share my glory with the Deacon's Court. And I most certainly will not share my glory with Hugh Ferrier. It's all about his glory. So friends, this morning I want to close by asking, is your life, is my life being spent in the praise, the worship, the glorification of this God? The God who is powerful, the God who is able. As you two sing, are we magnifying the one who's magnificent? We're about to sing. And sometimes I think there's a danger that in the Presbyterian Church, we treat the singing as a bit of a sandwich. Singing, prayer, singing, prayer, sermon, singing, prayer, and then that's it. As we sing, we have this immense privilege of lifting up our voices to the praise of this God. Will you do so? This evening, we have an evening service. Is that because we think we're going to go to hell if we don't go to two services on a Sunday? Is that because we say, well, we've always had two services and we better just keep having two services? No, we do it because the psalmist says we are to praise and bless the name of God from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting. Will, will you be there to praise his name this evening? Friends, let's magnify the one who is magnificent.